came out with sets of numbers and I plotted them on pieces of paper. Radio waves, radio waves. She sees radio waves, radio waves. Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. I'm Brendan O'Brien and today is Wednesday the 16th of September 2020. Each month we bring you two fabulous episodes. At the top of each month we have an interview with a respected astronomer, astrophysicist, space scientist or particle physicist. Then in the middle of the month we bring you Dr Ian Musgrave's Sky Guide for the next four weeks where he previews celestial observations for naked eye observers telescopers and astrophotographers. We also include a community service announcement asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively and isolate as much as possible as we work our way through this COVID-19 crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. So right now, we'll hear from Ian Astroblog Musgrave over in Adelaide, followed by his astronomical tangent. Hello, Ian. Hello, Brendan. Great to be speaking with you again, Ian. And fantastic to be speaking with you again, too. Okay, then. Can you tell us, Ian, what's up in the sky for the next four weeks? Okay, it's going to be rather busy four weeks compared to our previous four weeks. Uh, Just a reminder that this month's Sky Guide runs from September the 16th to October the 16th, and it's really jam-packed with action. Once again, most of the action is in the evening skies. Let's start with the moon. The new moon is on September the 17th, and on September the 18th, the moon is at perigee, when it's closest to the Earth. Last quarter moon is September the 24th, the full moon is October the 2nd, and the moon is at apogee when it's furthest from the Earth on October the 6th. The last quarter moon is October the 8th. So that will give you an idea of when it's going to be the best time for really dark skies, and when's the best time to look out for when the moon will be next to some bright planets, so you have a good idea of where they are and see some nice uh, massings. Also, on the 22nd of September, at least from Australia's point of view, the Earth is at equinox. So let's move to the evening sky. Now, Jupiter is well past opposition, and Saturn also, but Jupiter and Saturn uh, form a pair just a hand span apart, and they dominate the evening sky from sunset on, if you're looking to the north to northwest. As the month goes on, they'll move more from north to northwest. Of course, even though they are past opposition, this is still an excellent opportunity to look at both Jupiter and Saturn in a telescope. They're both rather bright, 
They've both still got a very decent diameter, unlike Mars, which we'll discuss very shortly. They stay at a decent size even when they're not at opposition. And even in small telescopes, the bands of Jupiter can be clearly seen, as can the dance of its moons. And of course, the rings of Saturn always make excellent viewing at any time. Saturn being Titan is not as impressive as the Galilean moons, but can be interesting to uh, watch from night to night. You won't see the same sort of interesting dances as the four Galilean moons, but you will see Titan move from night to night. They're both high in the evening sky uh, relatively early, which makes them ideal for calm conditions for viewing. And on September the 25th, the moon is between Jupiter and Saturn, forming a nice triangle with all of the three objects. Indeed, it might be possible if you're looking just before sunset to see Jupiter in the daylight. If you use the moon as your guide, then just off the northern pole of the moon, you should be able to see Jupiter with the unaided eye or with a pair of binoculars if you're looking. Okay, now that's Jupiter and Saturn. But what about Mars? Now, Mars is climbing higher into the evening sky and it's now very readily seen before midnight. There's very few bright stars close to Mars, so its very distinctive bright glow stands out and it's now uh, one of the brighter objects in the sky. By the time it gets to the end of September and the beginning of October, it'll be much brighter than Jupiter. On October the 2nd and 3rd, the full and just past moon, the full moon, and Mars are close. However, Mars is still best to view in the early morning. Having said that, if you're looking east, Mars is very close to the variable star Mira. Now, Mira is currently visible to the unaided eye, but it's going to be brightening as we speak and should be at its predicted maximum of magnitude 3 to 2.5 or about September the 20th. Although it could be a little bit earlier, a little bit later, because of the variability of the variable's maximum. It normally has a, a period of around about 330 days between maxima. And so we expect it to be uh, late September, probably around about 20th, could be a little bit later. So it'd be quite interesting to watch Mars brighten as it comes up to opposition and watch Mira brighten with it. Very good. It'll be very interesting indeed. I've tried to take some photographs uh, a little while ago, but it, it didn't work out uh, because uh, cloud, always cloud. <laughs> and now, of course, Mars is at opposition October the 14th. Now, as we've said before, opposition is uh, when the sun, earth, and the object line up directly in the sky. And this is the time when Mars is its closest and brightest to the earth. Now, it's actually because of the way Mars' orbit works, Mars is actually closest to Earth on October the 7th. And so you'll probably get out your best telescopic views around about them. So it's actually closest to Earth a little bit before it directly lines up with Earth and the Sun. Now this year is a good opposition of Mars. It's not as good as the opposition of 2018 in terms of, of Mars' size, or the great opposition of Mars in 2003 but there were not going to be a better one until 2033. So this is a fantastic time to observe this fascinating world. With the unaided eye, you're just going to see it getting brighter and brighter and brighter until it's now, it will be the brightest object in the evening sky aside from the moon. But even in a pair of binoculars, you'll just see an orange disc 
but even in a modern telescope, you should be able to see the markings on Mars, and you should be able to see the markings move from night to night as Mars rotates. Now, this time, uh, 2018, during the last opposition, there was a massive dust storm. And during, uh, before opposition and during opposition, all you got to see was this orange globe with no features whatsoever. This was also a dust storm that enveloped uh, Opportunity, who had, uh, which had been uh, on Mars for 14 years. And after that dust storm, it never phoned home again. Yeah. So the, the dust storms can be quite incredible, but they also ruin the viewing from here on Earth. However, I've seen some of the latest images from the Mars observers, and uh, at the moment you can see good detail on Mars. Uh, the, the polar caps are quite small, uh, but you can still easily see uh, the dark markings, even in a small telescope. If you have a modest-sized telescope, then you've got a, a reasonably good view. Having said that, most people don't have the ability to take photographs with high-end gear, but if you've got a telescope which has a prop drive, then you might try imaging Mars with your mobile phone. And we'll, we'll do a uh, post about a mobile imaging Mars on your mobile phone uh, later on uh, to give you a detailed guide to, for what to do. Uh, uh, and uh, so you can have a go at taking a photograph of this uh, rather good opposition of Mars. Uh, and so you don't have to wait till 2033 to have another go. Very good. Okay, so that's Mars. And Mars is, of course, the, the signal event of this month. But it's not the only thing. Uh, we've also got Mercury. Now, Mercury is easily visible in the evening sky at political twilight. That is 60 minutes after sunset. And close climbing rapidly to the bright star speaker, the brightest star in uh, Virgo the Virgin. And this is going to be a great time to look at Mercury from the Southern Hemisphere. From the Northern Hemisphere, I'm sorry, never going to rise very high, but it's still going to be worthwhile looking for. Now, on the 19th of September, the crescent moon and Mercury are very close, forming a triangle with Speaker. Mercury continues to climb towards Speaker. On the 22nd, Mercury and Speaker are only 16 arc minutes apart. Now, to give you a feel for what that means, the moon is on average 31 arc minutes across, or half a degree, and a finger stretched out at the end of your arm is roughly 60 arc minutes across, that's one degree. So you can see this is really quite a very close pairing, and uh, they will easily fit together in telescope eyepiece. So Mercury itself won't look particularly exciting, and speaker will just be a bright dot. Being able to get the pair together in the same field will be a very interesting astronomical photography event. Again, it's very possible for people with mobile phones to take an image of this with their cameras because both Mercury and Speak will be bright enough to turn up in your mobile phone eyepiece. Okay, also from the 22nd on to roughly October the 10th, from the Southern Hemisphere, Mercury is visible after astronomical twilight. And I'll remind you that astronomical twilight is 90 minutes after sunset when the sky is at its darkest. So at this time, there are four of the bright pastel planets visible in the evening. Also, Pluto and Neptune are part of this lineup, but Uranus doesn't rise until after Mercury sets, so we don't really have a fantastic sampling of the planets. Still, we've got seven out of the eight planets, 
and one of the two major dwarf planets in view, and with only Neptune and uh, Venus being out of uh, Uranus and Venus being out of contention. I'll just remind you that Ceres is also a dwarf planet and was considered a planet uh, uh, before Pluto and for many decades. So Ceres uh, is, uh, is not ex excited by Pluto's claim to planethood. So that's the evening sky. Now let's turn to the morning sky. Now only two bright planets are still visible in the morning sky before nautical twilight this month. But again, nautical twilight is 60 minutes before sunrise. So the sky is still reasonably dark, but it's getting brighter. You've got Mars in the west and Venus low to the east. Now, Venus is now in Cancer, below the bright star Procyon, and it's heading towards the bright star Regulus in Leo. On the 3rd of October, Venus and Regulus are eight arc minutes apart. Now, remember what I said about, the, about uh, Mercury and Speaker being 16 arc minutes apart? It's only half that, so it will look really interesting in a telescope. And with the unaided eye, it may be quite difficult to tell the pair apart. At this time, the pair are nine degrees above the horizon. That's about one and a half hand spans above the horizon, 60 minutes before sunrise. That's more of the twilight. Then next on the 14th, Venus and the crescent moon form a triangle with regulars. And now the moon will be a hand span from the horizon at vertical twilight, and Venus will still be about uh, one and a half hand spans above the horizon at vertical twilight. So that will look quite beautiful. That's the planets in the morning sky. Now let's turn to the stars. Last episode, I talked a lot about the things you could see in Scorpius and Sagittarius. Now Scorpius is much lower in the west and sinking towards the horizon. But at the same time, the constellations of Taurus and Orion begin to rise in the east. So they'll still be at their best uh, in the coming months. But by the end of this four week period, Around about uh, after 10 o'clock towards midnight, you'll be able to see Taurus and Orion uh, on the horizon as you're seeing the tail of Scorpius disappear. Still, um, if you look at Scorpius around an hour and a half after sunset, that's astronomical twilight, you're still going to have a lot to explore with binoculars with it and Sagittarius. So it's still worthwhile having a look. Now, what I'd like to point you to is the southern sky, because in the southern sky, the dwarf galaxies, the Magellanic clouds are rising. The small Magellanic cloud will be an excellent viewing position in late, late evening. And the small Magellanic cloud hosts two nice globular clusters, with 47 Tucana, the brightest one, being one of the finest in the sky. Now, it's easily visible to the unaided eyes, as far as you've got, even under suburban skies, and binoculars looks like a bright cotton ball. And in telescope, it reveals packed scarf stars as a, a, a glittering ball of stars, uh, and it's really quite beautiful to look like to look at. And so, by the end of our four-week period, uh, that is the sixth week of October, it's almost due south at 10 p.m. local time. Uh, if you want to find it, you may find it easy to navigate if you uh, locate. Just off to view south, you'll see uh, uh, slightly up, you'll see a very uh, bright white star, that's Achenar. As you sweep, hit, hit your binoculars and sweep down from Achenar about three hand spans to the left and slightly below, 
uh, Aconite, which is really the only uh, bright nearby star. The bright, really bright yellow star can open to right down the horizon, so you won't mistake it for that. So if you sweep down three hand spans left and slightly below, you come to the, uh, the uh, uh, Magellanic Cloud and uh, 47 Tucana. It's quite unmistakable. Now, the large Magellanic Cloud and Tarantula Nebula, I'll talk about uh, in our next session. And also talk about the Andromeda uh, Galaxy, which is also rising in the north in the late evening as we speak, but we'll be in a better position for observation uh, for our next uh, export. And that's what's up in the sky for this four weeks. Very good, Ian. Now, Ian, do you have a tangent for us for this episode? I do indeed. I'm glad you asked. And if you remember the last tangent, despite all the astronomicals going on, I chose to talk about Ceres, our other dwarf planet. And uh, this September, lots of things are happening. There's a bevy of, of spacecraft heading towards Mars, including the first Martian helicopter, the super black hole collision, and some mysterious astronomy news which is circulating in the background, which we're breathlessly waiting to find out what it is about. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about Mercury instead. <laughs> now, why am I choosing Mercury? I should point out that I'm a stereo hunter, someone who hunts for comets and images from the stereo spacecraft. Well, okay, I haven't been active for some years, but I still call myself a stereo hunter. Now, back in 2008, the famed stereo hunter, Colin Allen, I were trying to confirm the composition and images from Stereo A. I pointed out the nice bright comet moving across the stereo image field and Colin Allen said, that's not a comet, that's Mercury. And so we exchanged internet equivalent of starry looks. Now, at the time, the feeling on the stereo hunter list was what we were seeing as an artifact. But I remembered an article on sodium mission Mercury, went down to track down the group who uh, did these studies and asked them what they thought our power might be. Now, this started a saga which accumulated in a paper called Observations of Mercury's Escaping the Sodium Atmosphere by the Stereo Spacecraft by Carl Schmidt, Jeffrey Moore, Michael Mendilio, Christopher Davis, and Ian Musgrave, respectively, being read at the European Planet Through Science Congress. This paper was a subject of a press release uh, and which uh, spread widely into the internet, and it is my first and only cited paper on astronomy, of course, being the uh, the uh, junior author, of course, because all they did was take uh, some stereo images and say, hey, look at this. Now, what were we seeing and why was uh, Mercury looking like a comet? Well, the intense heat of the sun blasts sodium atoms from Mercury's surface into space. Uh, and these uh, Mercury atoms are ionized by the sun's ultraviolet light and can glow exactly like the sodium lights you see uh, around uh, the beach side and uh, where you need to be able to uh, see in the fog. Uh, you may be also interested to know that the moon also has the moon, stop rewind. You may also be interested to know the moon also has a tail of sodium ions streaming away from it for the same reason. Okay, so why bring up something from 2010 now? Well, quite recently, Carl Adams made a magnificent video of Comet C19, C slash one, what we want. So why bring it up now? 
The wife of Carl Batten's uh, recent magnificent video of comet C slash 1999 Y4 Atlas as it passed through stereotyped one field of view heading to, to comet death. Uh, it, that uh, video also featured mer mercury sodium pale. And, uh, and it's quite prominent when you uh, look at the video. So the question arose, can sodium's mercury sodium pale be picked up on Earth by amateur astronomers? Now we know Mercury's tail has been picked up by specialized astronomical telescopes with special filters by professional astronomers. But what about amateurs? Well, it turns out it can. In fact, there have been several images of Mercury taken by amateurs with fairly modest telescopes. So you know, something as simple as a six-inch reflector or a 60 millimeter refractor. And also narrow band filters to pick up sodium light. Now, narrow band filters are, are widely available, but somewhat pricey, and can be picked up from almost any astronomy store. And there was a recent successful imaging using a, a 589.31 nanometer filter. But you will need a guided telescope and integrated number of exposures. The most recent exposure took 100 to 10 second exposures in order to get the nice view of sodium, uh, mercury sodium tail. Now, for most amateurs, you will have a guided telescope these days, and you will have a modest exposure. So if you want to try and invest in a, uh, in a narrow band filter and have a go, I strongly advise you to. But what about simple broadband exposure without the, uh, without the filter? And that's a very good question, one that has uh, occupied a number of the astronomy boards for a while. And one of our listeners can try if they have a guided telescope. Now in September and October, Mercury will be in a, an excellent position for imaging from Australia. So uh, we'll have uh, Mercury being relatively high above, above the horizon, uh, well until the sky is dark, and it's very good for trying out. Now we know that Mercury's sodium pile is brightest around perihelion and aphelion. Now for us, aphelion is on September the 19th, coming up shortly. But at this time, Mercury is only four degrees above the horizon at astronomical twilight when the sky is fully dark. So it may be a bit difficult for uh, pointing telescopes and, and taking uh, long exposures. Now, Mercury is seven degrees above the horizon, which is a much better at astronomical twilight between the 24th to 29th, but the tail will be faint. So this is quite a... Uh, a decent challenge, whether using uh, broadband or narrowband, you're going to take, need to take uh, a lot of exposures. Quite often, better to take a number of uh, short exposures and stack them using free, free stacking software rather than trying to do a long exposure, which will tend to overexpose the background. Uh, but nonetheless, this is to be an excellent challenge for the telescope owners, amongst our visitors, and a unique time to be able to see a very unusual stop rewind. And a stop rewind. And an opportunity to do something that is almost unique amongst the planets of the solar system. And that's my tangent for September, October. Very good, Ian. That sounds like quite a challenge, but I'm sure there'll be some people who take it up well, thank you very much, Ian Astroblog Musgrove.
Thank you very much, Brendan. It's been a pleasure to be on, and uh, hopefully I've given uh, the listeners some exciting things to look at, and there's so many things occurring in this packed uh, period that uh, no matter when you step out, there'll be something to look at when you look up. Excellent. Fantastic. See you, mate. See you, mate. All the best. Cheers. Bye. And remember, Astrophys is free and unsponsored, and we're very happy to recommend that you can always get the latest and best space news from Rami Mandal at spaceaustralia.com. And another great Astro podcast is The Scientists with Kirsten Banks and Dr. Ankel Lopez Sanchez. And for observers and astrophotographers, always check out Dr. Ian Musgrave's Astro Blogger website. Till then, isolate, take care, look after yourself and your loved ones. And please, do wear a mask when you can't socially distance yourself. Radio Wave.